All right, let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. We started a couple weeks ago on Wednesday night dealing with some things about the church, how to behave ourselves in the house of God. Remember the first one, keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools in Ecclesiastes 5, 1 and 2. And then we looked at chapter 3, the latter part of it, where he says in verse 15, but if I tarry long, chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, but if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. Now, that is the subject of the book, that we know how to behave ourselves in the house of God. In chapter 1, he deals with our message. In chapter 2, he deals with the member's prayer and some things he says quite clearly about prayer. That's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Chapters 3 and 4, he deals with the ministers. And then in chapters 5 and 6, he deals with the ministry. Now, it's just a very simple outline of that. But what we're dealing with tonight has to do with this matter of prayer. I mean, we've come to this place in our country. We, we're talking about things just like the announcement that I made about Dr. McCullough and this Miss Grossman. Uh, we never thought we'd be talking about in this country. It never we even would have entered our mind that that would ever be in anybody's discussion except for the people of the very lowest rung of society who had absolutely no morals whatsoever. I mean, at least lost people used to have some, at least some sense of morality, but uh, we've gotten a long, long way from that. Well, what are we going to do? What are we supposed to do? And I got to thinking about that. You realize that Paul lived in the day of Nero. Nero was the emperor of the Roman Empire. He was a very wicked and demented individual, as demented as any of the rulers that we have in our land today. And he is telling the church living in that day under that kind of a rule exactly what God expects of them. Now, I know most good patriotic Americans are extremely concerned, not just about the direction the country is going, but what are we handing over to our kids and our grandkids? Uh, What are they? I mean, look how bad, how much worse it's gotten just in the last 10 years. What is is it going to be like 20 years from now? Is there going to be any freedom whatsoever, any place? When they do control all the media so tightly that the truth, you never have to worry about getting out. It won't be out there and people won't have a clue as to what to believe. How are we supposed to act? Well, how are believers supposed to act over in communist Russia? How are believers supposed to act in communist China? I mean, really, those are demented places that put people to death for all kinds of reasons and not not following the uh, government is one of those. Or how about the believers that live in Muslim-controlled lands? What are they supposed to do? What are believers in these countries supposed to do? Because no matter what our situation, and let's admit it, we have been extremely spoiled. We've had it good. We've had a lot of freedom for a long time, and we're losing it I think the prosperity that we've had in this country is the one thing that has just about killed all our character. As I heard a preacher say many, many years ago that character brings prosperity and prosperity destroys character and that's the truth. Some of the most spoiled, belligerent brats are being raised in homes that cost over a million dollars with parents who are busy living the high life instead of raising up godly young people. That's where we're at. 
And the thing is, those very young people that they've given everything to, they've got nice cars, they got nice trucks, they got, man, they got every computer they want. You couldn't ask for much more than what these young people have, and they hate their parents. It's not uncommon to read stories of children blowing their parents away. So how are we supposed to act when our country seems to be so far gone? What on earth are we supposed to do? Well, if you notice beginning in this chapter, chapter 2, he says, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Now notice that, for all men. For all men. And no, that doesn't mean elect. That means all men. And he says, for kings and for all that are in authority... And who was the emperor? Nero. Do you think Paul prayed for him? I believe he did. What about Agrippa? I think he prayed for him too. For all that are in authority, notice that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved. And to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. Now notice verse 8. He is not changing the subject. He's still talking about prayer. That is the subject of the entire chapter. He says in verse 8, I will therefore that men pray everywhere. So we're not just talking about the church house. But the church is to be praying everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And then he says, in like manner also, that women. So he has instruction for both the men and the women in the church. And their responsibility that they have in this matter of prayer to society. Now, remember the Lord Jesus taught a number of things. He said, for instance, in Luke chapter 18, men ought always to pray and not to faint. Paul would write in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, pray without ceasing. We find that Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. And everything, give thanks. Not, I'm sorry, I gave you the wrong uh, one. Let me get over to it. Chapter 4 of the book of Philippians. And notice the scripture says there in verse 7. Verse 6. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. I can remember, let me go back a ways. Let me go back, oh, let's say, I believe it was 2012. At that time, we were praying for our nation and asking God to bring some things back. And I called for a prayer meeting on the night before the election, called for a prayer meeting for God to move in a powerful way. And uh, our country was in trouble then. We had no idea in 2012 where we'd be at in 2023. But it continued. It was just speeding up. Things were headed downhill even faster. And in 2012, calling for a prayer meeting because we understood our nation was in trouble. We had 25 show up. Now, at that time in 2012, we were probably running about 600. 
We had 25 show up. Wow, I wonder how we got to the way we are in 2023. What do you think? Because I dare say for most of our churches, I'm talking about the Bible-believing churches, prayer meetings called in those probably uh, per capita would have showed up about the same size crowd. We understand there's a problem. And, and boy, we get after people about going to the ballot box. And I vote. I, I just always vote. I, I consider it a right and a responsibility both. And so I vote. And I always vote for the most conservative guy that I can find. And if I can't find a conservative guy, then I'll vote for the most conservative gal I can find. But there are some cases where I won't vote for either one. I mean, I've left a whole lot of things blank on the card. That was my protest vote. Uh, And, you know, fine, what you do is fine. But we're all concerned about going to the polls. But what about prayer? No matter who gets elected, the Bible does say that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord and as the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. I'll remind you that it was a pagan heathen king, Cyrus, that sent the children of Israel back to the promised land to rebuild the temple. Wasn't a Jewish king that did that. was a heathen king. And they had a couple of other heathen kings that gave some permission for some things to not only get the, the, the building finished, but also to get the wall finished. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. We seem to think, well, you know, we could pray, but, but that doesn't really do anything. Well, but we don't pray. We're not willing to get a hold of God. As I said, this whole chapter deals with prayer, and I'm repeating that several times because I want you to understand as I cover this that the subject of the chapter is prayer. Some of you you will go out saying I preached on something else. No, I'm preaching on prayer. I am not preaching on politics tonight because no matter the politics, we are still responsible to pray. Do you understand? Republican, Democrat makes no difference. Our responsibility is the same. Our responsibility is to pray. Now, we think Republican, Democrat, they don't think that way in a lot of other lands all across the world. Some think of oppression or freedom. Some think of other things for what may ever be important to them. But we're going to see in this chapter the command to pray in verses 1 through 3, and the reason or the cause for the prayer, and then the call to the church in verses 5 through 7. And then we're going to look at the conditions in order to get answers to our prayer. So notice in verses 1 through 3, we've got the command to pray. He says, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, I like that word, first of all, this is primary. This is even before our soul winning program. First of all, first of all. I mean, we can go out soul winning, but we're not going to bathe it in prayer. We're really just going to go out and go through the motions of religion. If we're going to go out in God's power, there's got to be prayer before we go out. And he said, well, we need to have a longer prayer meeting. How about praying at home? Do you pray before you even leave the house to come to church? After all, men ought, as he said there in verse 8, I will therefore that men pray everywhere. So that's not just when you get to the church house, but everywhere. First of all, this is primary First of all, prayer. Notice the scope of the prayer. Here it is. First of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks. Now, supplications, that's asking for things. 
asking for God to do certain things, intercessions, that's beseeching God on the behalf of others. For who? All men. Not just for the lost that you're going out to meet when you go so winning, uh, but all men. Yeah, that would be the governor of the state. That would be the, the um, attorney general of the state. That would be, just think of all the different posts that we have. Or the president of the United States. Uh, it has nothing to do with party. It has to do with, are they a leader? For he says, for kings and for all that are in authority. Now that pretty much wraps it up. For all that are in authority. We're to pray for them. All men. All men. We are to intercede for them. You know, Christ ever liveth to make intercession for us. He tells us that in Romans chapter 8 and again in Hebrews chapter 7 that he ever liveth to make intercession for us. And then giving a thanks. The Bible says, And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You see, we are talking about serious praying. It's more than saying, Lord, bless all men. I look at these pictures here, the missionaries out of Madison Baptist Church, although Brother Sarone's picture is not up there. Now, you understand, for instance, you take, uh, there's a picture of Brother Nelson and his wife. That's not Brother Nelson, no. You say, well, sure, yeah, Brother Nelson, that's a, a picture from him. That's it. It's a picture of him. Right there is Brother Nelson. That's a reminder to you of who he is. So you who are getting a little bit older and a little shaky in your memory, you can say, oh, Brother Nelson, that's who that white-haired guy is right there. Uh, we don't pray for the picture. We pray for the person. We are praying for people. That's the command, the scope of our prayer, asking God to intervene. You take a look at these missionaries. They're on several different fields. As a matter of fact, you look at these missionaries. Uh, they're not only in several different fields, but the fields are all dramatically different in culture, in languages, and everything else. They have a lot of needs. We put their prayer letters out there, and the prayer letters also along the wall of all the other missionaries that we support as well. And this, isn't a, this is not praying for missionaries. Lord, bless all the missionaries. What is that? That's a satellite prayer. Goes around the world, doesn't hit anything. What are you praying for? Bless. Make them happy? I mean, the word bless means happy. Make them happy? No, they got some more serious needs than whether or not they're happy. They need prayer. They send out the prayer letters because they know that Madison Baptist Church has people that will pray specifically for them and their needs. But in order to know what the needs are, we have to read the letters, don't we? So the scope of our prayer, supplications, intercessions, and giving of thanks. But I want you to notice the selection here. For he breaks it down. He says for kings. Oh, kings don't need prayer. Well, you better pray for them because they got power to make your life miserable or not. And for all that are in authority, why? Here's the cause for the prayer. Look at it very carefully. He says, for all in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. There are a lot of countries that are in turmoil all the time. Our country is getting more and more in turmoil as crime is running rampant. You, you know, thank God we've got, uh, is fairly peaceable around here, even though there are times when it's not, people getting shot around us more, I think, than ever before. But nevertheless, that's, uh, we're peaceable compared to Chicago, compared to San Francisco, 
compared to Washington, D.C. and Baltimore. I mean, just name the big city compared to Atlanta. We're pretty peaceable around here, aren't we? But you know, that can change overnight too. So why, why are we praying for these people? Well, as he said here, so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Obviously, we are to live in godliness and we are to live honestly with those that are about us. After all, we're believers. But we are to pray for those in authority over us so that we can continue to do so. That's perfectly legitimate, but that's not the only reason for the prayer. It's not just a matter of living quiet and peaceably, but uh, because God wants them saved. You know, God wants President Joe Biden saved. He wants them saved. He wants Vice President Kamala Harris to be saved. He wants the senators and the congressmen to be saved. He wants the Supreme Court justices to be saved. He died for them as much as he did for you or for me. He wants them saved. He would have all men to be saved to come to the knowledge of the truth. I know we get disgusted. Man, we really get put out with the stuff they do. For instance, take our present president. By the way, he's always been that way. He's just following through on what he's always believed. You understand that? He didn't suddenly become the socialist when he got, took the oath of office. That didn't suddenly happen. That's where he's been for a long time. And we live in a day where, you know, I, I found this out. One party will sell you out as quick as another party will sell you out. They're for you until it becomes more profitable for them to be for somebody else. It's the nature of politicians. Now, that's not to say that there aren't some good Christians who are serving in office and some, some that are not Christian but very moral people who have some standards that they basically live by. But for the most part, of course, in our country, we only deal with two parties, Republican and Democrat for the most part. For the most part, neither are co- totally committed to their program and they're willing to sell votes for different things. It's the nature of politics. It's what happens. I hate to disillusion you, but God wants them saved. God wants them saved. And, and by the way, for these people, they come at you from not only their point of reference, where they're coming from. I look at things through the scripture. I look at the issues through the scripture. Why am I against same-sex marriage and homosexuality? The scripture is very plain. I'm a Christian. I believe God's word is the absolute truth. And so I stand upon it because I know it's the truth. Now, with that being the truth, there's a number of things that I'm going to be against. You know that there are some people who are against abortion, but not because of God's truth. To them, it just seems like a horrible thing to do. Now, to everybody that's against abortion is even saved. There are a number of the cults that are against abortion, but they're not even saved. They've got a different gospel. So when you talk about that issue, and by the way, some of the people who are for abortion are for abortion in certain situations. Several years ago, we had a representative by the name of Kramer. How many remember that back then? Uh, and, of course, he was a Democrat at that time. Well, I guess he probably still would be. But uh, uh, he had voted for the different uh, bills that came up 
that promoted or were for abortion. Now, he had claimed to be a relatively conservative Democrat. I know that's kind of an oxymoron. But, and this is not a political message now. I just want you to understand. We get so hyped up. We hear Republican or Democrat. Uh, Be careful about that. But I did a little looking into his biography and tried to figure out why this man, who seemed to have some good ideas about some things, uh, why he would have been for abortion. And I found out what happened. His wife had cancer, and she was expecting. And they ended up, they had an abortion to protect the life of his wife. She still died with cancer, by the way, uh, which was a, a, hor- that's a horrible experience for anybody to go through. Isn't that right? But whereas I still may disagree with the policy of what they did and how he voted for it, there were sometimes he'd vote against abortion, but it was usually in some minor vote that didn't do much. But basically, he still stood for it, and it was on the basis of what they had to face personally. So we're not going to hate the guy because of that. What we're going to do is still pray for him. Still pray for him. I'm not going to hate the president because of what the stuff that he's done. I'm going to pray for him. I'm going to pray for the vice president. Doesn't make any difference what party they are. We're still going to pray for them. That's what we're called to do. So we pray for the Supreme Court, all of them, not just the conservatives on the court. We pray for the liberals on the court because if those liberals got saved, it would increase the majority of conservatives. Hallelujah. But that's not the reason we pray. We pray because God wants all men to be saved. That's why we're praying. He wants them saved too. You know, I prayed practically every day for Madeline Murray O'Hare that she'd get saved. Now, she didn't get saved because God doesn't make people get saved. But there's no doubt he had put the gospel in front of her. I don't have any doubt about that. I don't know if she accepted Christ or not. I would tend to think probably not. I may remember the name Madeline Murray O'Hare. Okay, some of you scared me. It looked like, who, who? Madeline Murray O'Hare. Very famous atheist that basically got prayer taken out of the public schools. I prayed for her. I thought, wow, wouldn't this be great if she got saved? Of course, you know, she had a son who professed salvation later on. So God still makes it a free will, but he could put conviction in her path, and that's what I was after for that. Notice what he says here, for this is good. Look at this in verse 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. No, you are not a traitor to the cause by praying for your president. You should pray for your president. You should pray for your leader. You should pray for your governor. You should pray for the mayor of your city. We need to pray for that. That's what we're commanded to do. And if and when it happens that we become totally socialist or communist, we're still to pray for them. Then we'll have to pray for those in the Politburo. That's the reality. We're commanded to pray. What's the subject of this chapter? Prayer, all right? Now, the calling of our prayer. Notice what he says in verse 4. Who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Now, very, very plain. These are very anti-Calvinistic verses. 
See, we're not going to do uh, like the Calvinists do. We're not going to change our Bible to try to fit our doctrine. We've got a Bible. We want to believe the doctrine that's taught in the Bible. I mean, the truth is the Calvinists with their ESV has done the same thing that the Jehovah's Witness did with their New World Translation. Since their beliefs and the Bible didn't go together, they just simply retranslated it and changed the words. Same things the Calvinists have done. Get me picking on them. We need to pray for them too. Because they may not know it, but they do have a choice. And if they don't make that choice to trust Christ as Savior, they will not go to heaven. That's the way it is for any Baptist too. For a Baptist, you've got to make the choice to accept Christ as your Savior. So God's desire is for everyone to be saved. That's why we're to pray for these people. God wants them saved. It's his son that is our only mediator. The government is not our mediator. The religion is not our mediator. He is the only mediator. And he is whom we are called to preach. So we pray. Our message did not change with any election. You understand, neither the Republicans or the Democrats are going to give a revival to our nation. They're not going to do it. We think somehow if we can just get the right people in office, it'll change everything. Well, we've gotten different people, right people, different times. It hasn't changed anything. I can remember when I was the Mid-South Legislative Director for the American Association of Christian Schools, which meant I had to go to Washington four times a year to lobby over some or to talk to some representatives uh, and senators about different things that, with regards to education. And, you know, I remember Bob Dole, who was the, uh, he was the minority leader. He was the head Republican in the Senate. And we asked him a couple questions about, you know, why can't you people get this done here? He says, well, give me 51 votes and we will. And so a little bit later, he got 52 votes in the Senate. Still didn't get it done. Things went on as they were before. Yeah. Now, hey, this isn't about politics. It's about what? It's about prayer. I'm telling you, don't put your trust in these people. Put your trust in the Lord and let's pray for these people. I wonder what it would be like if there are millions of of Americans who are Christians, if all the believing adults decided that they were going to pray for these people. Do you think God would move? I believe he would. I believe he'd do it. If we'd pray like he tells us to pray right here. Now, the subject of this chapter is what again? Okay. So here's the conditions. We're going to pray. Notice what he says in verse 8. I will, therefore, that men... All right. Now, here he's talking definitely about gender. He's talking about men. I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. So where's the right place to pray? Anywhere, everywhere. It's right for you to pray. Now, that doesn't mean you necessarily have to stand up in the middle of some auditorium where they're doing something else and start praying out loud. You can buy your head and pray right where you're at. But you can pray everywhere. And he said, I want men praying everywhere. He said, but we're supposed to go to our prayer closet. Well, have your prayer closet. Pray in your prayer closet. But that's not everywhere. That's just somewhere. It's perfectly fine to pray in your prayer closet, but we're to be praying everywhere. That is what he said, isn't it? 
We believe the Bible, don't we? God's people are to pray everywhere. Jesus said men ought always to pray and not to faint. Not doing what? Lifting up holy hands. You mean I got to pray like this? No. What's the idea of lifting up holy hands? Well, one, it's surrender. We're surrendered to the will of God as we pray. Two, in worship, which is fine as well. That doesn't mean you have to have your hands up in the air, but your hands should be holy. There shouldn't be anything deceitful, dishonest in the things and what you do with your hands. They ought to be right, lifting up holy hands. Now, I'm not against this. I do this once in a while. I do it much more when I'm just praying, walking around the auditorium and just praying for folks as as I walk around the auditorium. I'll lift up hands like that to the Lord and just cry out to Him. That doesn't mean your hands have to be up in the air the entire time. I just simply say this. If you're going to do it in public, um, you know, it's not this. Lifting up holy hands. It's definitely not that. I was at a meeting a while back where there were a bunch of young people who seemed to be very godly. They seemed to love the Lord, man. They sang out. They were excited. And it just kind of bothered me because I saw them as they were singing. Just every once in a while, one to go like this, another go like this, like that. I think they're kind of missing the idea. They're, they, you understand, it should be natural. When we have people, that doesn't, that doesn't scare me when we have people lift up their hands. Praise the Lord. It's biblical. It's right. We had a preacher here one time. This is, I think, not too long after we moved into this building. And he prayed, I'm sorry, he preached on lifting up holy hands. And he gave a number of scripture. And I had somebody come up to me after the service. and said, preacher, that's weird. I said, well, wait, time out. He got it from the scripture, didn't he? It's only weird because we don't do it. I want it to be real. It's kind of like shouting, you know. You're going to say amen. As long as it's real, I don't mind it. But when you're just doing it to put on a show, keep your mouth shut. It needs to be real. And there are some people who do it just to put on a show. Now, they'd never admit that, but that's true. Notice he says, without wrath. That's not harboring revenge. That's the idea of that. And without doubting. In other words, you're willing to keep on praying. Keep on praying. Remember, without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So we keep asking and we keep asking and we keep asking and we keep asking. Why? Because God changes countries. He's done it many times throughout history. He can do it here. My people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now, a lot of folks are willing to pray. They're not willing to turn from their wicked ways. That's a problem. But it is seeking his face in prayer, turning from your wicked ways. God promises to heal. So he says, without doubting, it demonstrates that we believe God can change the national agenda. 
that we are trusting him to do it, not the politicians of whatever stripe they may be. But then he says in the next verse, in like manner also, that women... All right, so he's obviously dealing with gender here. He's just dealt with the men. We've got a command to pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting and so on. Well, what about the ladies? Well, ladies can get through to God too, but he's got some instruction for them. Now, what's the subject of the chapter again? Prayer. Prayer. Okay, just, you know, when you go out, people say, what did the preacher preach on? I want you to say, prayer, because that's what I'm preaching on. Correct? All right. If you've got to hear something else, you're a liar. Here it is. Like manner also that women, in like manner also, in other words, holy hands, um, without wrath and doubting, that women adorn themselves in what? Modest apparel. That means what you wear should be loose. And modest. From the knee up, you should definitely be covered. And there's nothing wrong with covering more than that. So your dresses should not be above your knees. What's he talking about doing again? Praying. Modest apparel. Uh, Nakedness in the book of Isaiah seems to have to do with showing the thigh. I don't know why some people, maybe it's because I've said something about the knees being covered and up, that there are some people, whenever they're not in the service, have got to wear something above their knee. Why? Why on earth can't you just take it down a couple inches farther and be a good testimony? Does it really hurt that much to be a good testimony? Is it painful? It's not, it's modest. But he's not done, and I'm preaching on prayer. In modest apparel, with shamefacedness and uh, shamefacedness and sobriety. Now, shamefacedness—I can't say it. Shamefacedness is the countenance of virtue and sobriety. Well, why didn't he say that for the guys? I don't know. I, God wrote it. God put it in there. Ladies, you're going to pray. This isn't the only place where the Holy Spirit of God talks to both men and ladies about how they're to look. They are not to look the same. God didn't make them to look the same. And your dress is not to make you look the same. For instance, keep your hand here. We'll come back to it. I'm not going to preach on this whole passage. But just to show you, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Yes, I know the verse. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. Doesn't mean he's blind to the outward appearance. The reality is because man cannot see your heart, your outward appearance ought to show what's on the inside. Here we go. Notice in verse 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is the man. The head of Christ is God. Now that's the basic principle to begin this whole conversation. So the head of every man is Christ, the head of the woman is the man, the head of Christ is God. Every man praying. So what's this chapter about now? Praying. Every man praying or prophesying, which is speaking unto men to edification and comfort, 1 Corinthians 14. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. And who's his head? 
Christ. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head. And that's who? That's the man. For that is even all one as if she were shaven. Now he gives some instruction. He says, for the woman, uh, if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, uh, let her be covered. What you say, what if, what if she has cancer and her hair's falling out? What's she going to do? Wear something on her head. It doesn't have to be a wig. doesn't specify that at all. She's to wear it when she prays. She's to have something on her head. It's the very reason. Remember Miss Doris Small? She wore hats a lot. It used to be, especially in southern churches, but even in Yankee churches, it was quite common for women to wear hats to church. Because of this. Because of this. Now, it's not necessary to wear hats if you can have long hair, ladies. Notice we go on. He says, for a man indeed ought not to cover his head for as much as he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of the man. Hey, liberals, we're different. Men and women are different. We were created differently. And we were created for a different purpose. But I thought we were neither male nor female in Jesus. He doesn't change your gender. Come on. Obviously, with what he's dealing with here, there's a difference in how men and women are supposed to look even when they pray. And when they pray, the main one you're concerned about is who you're praying to, which is God, and it matters to God how you look. Now, you would think that any Christian that loved the Lord, that would be enough. Jesus said, that's the way you want me to dress. That's the way I'll dress. Is that really that hard? Well, I'm not doing it because of Brother Allison. Don't do it because of Brother Allison. Do it because it's what the Word of God says. That ought to be enough. That should take care of it. Now, he deals with the difference in creation. And uh, then he's verse 10. He says, for this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man and the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman. And so he's explaining how we came about. Verse 13, judging yourselves, is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Obvious answer, no. Does not even nature itself teach you? If a man have long hair, it's a shame unto him. Verse 15, but if a woman have long hair, it is a what? Glory to her. He doesn't say she can't cut her hair, but it is to be long. Well, I don't know what's really long. It's the opposite of short. There's a question as to whether or not your hair is long. Then grow it to make it longer. And guys, if your hair looks long to people, shorten it. That can be done with scissors. You don't have to wait for anything to grow, do you? You just cut it. That's not hard. It's not hard at all. If that's what the Lord wants. You would think people who've been redeemed would just want to simply please the Lord. Wait, he's not done about this appearance matter. Go over to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. You understand that the reason for all these different translations out there, it's not because the Bible's hard to understand. It's because they don't like what it says. That's the whole problem. 
They don't like what it says. And so they feel if they can just reword some things and change it, it'll be different. But notice verse 1 of 1 Peter chapter 3. Likewise, ye wise, be in subjection to your own husbands, uh, that if any obey not the word, they also may, without the word, be won by the conversation of the wise, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting of hair and wearing of gold or putting on of apparel. Now here's what it is to be. But let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible. Even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which in the sight of God of great price. In other words, for our ladies, if you're going to pray like he says to pray and to pray for everybody, you ought to dress like you would think a godly person would dress. Because man can't see the hidden man of the heart. God sees it. God wants you to show the hidden man of the heart on the outside. Now, is he saying here then that you cannot... I need to get back. I turned the page. Uh, you, that you cannot wear jewelry. No, that's not what he's saying. And where he says here, who's adorning, let not be that outward adorning of the plating of the hair or wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel. You see, if he's telling you you can't wear jewelry, then he's also telling you you can't wear clothes. Right? This isn't hard. It's really very easy. It doesn't mean you can't wear makeup. But I'm sorry, you're looking like Tammy Faye Baker. For those of you who don't know her or Dolly Parton, you shouldn't be looking like that. I mean, makeup, if people are noticing the makeup, you've got too much on. Makeup can be fine, but it's the hidden man of the heart you're to show not to hide your face and be somebody else. Now, why? Because you want your prayers to be answered, don't you? Yeah, You know, I, I look at this, folks. And to me, this is clearer than that wall back there. I need new glasses. This is clearer than that. And that wall still is pretty clear. These are very simple terms, very simple words. He's dealing with prayer. And he says, ladies, dress in such a way that you look godly. That when people see you, I'll bet that's a Christian. I'll bet that's a Christian. And as you pray everywhere, wherever it is that you pray, that's the thought that should come to anybody's mind. That's what the Lord wants you to be. Now, then he says, he's still dealing with prayer, and he says, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. It amazes me. You take some of these, whether it be Kay Arthur or some of these ladies are on Christian TV, and they've got an auditorium full of both men and women, and here they are up there preaching like a man. And today they even dress like men when they get up there and preach. Now that tells you they are not of God. How can you claim to stand for God when you disobey very clearly what God says in his word? I mean, the Bible's just plain. It's clear. Now then, well, I, I, I think I could speak better than some man. Well, maybe you can, but God is the one who wrote the rule. And it has to do with your prayer life. You want to get through. 
And then he gives the reason, and I'm not going to spend much time with this, because whether you understand the reason or not is not important. The fact that you obey, that's the important thing. But he says, for Adam was first formed, then Eve. And then he says, secondly, Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. And then he gives a promise for the woman in childbearing if they are doing right. But when the woman committed, when she ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, she was deceived. That led her to eat it. But the husband knew exactly what he was doing when he did it. Now, some might say, well, then she ought to be the one preaching. Well, it hasn't stopped a lot of them. They've been preaching for a long time. But this is God's reasoning, and I believe this with all my heart. God's reasoning is always right. Let God be true and every man a liar. I just believe it. Now, what was all that about? It was about prayer, wasn't it? What did Brother Alice would preach on tonight? Prayer. It was a prayer message. Now, he wants us always to pray and not to faint. He wants us to pray for all those that are authority over us that we may live quietly and peaceable. But he doesn't just want us to pray. He wants us to be heard when we pray. That doesn't mean shouting it to the rooftops, but heard by God when we pray. And so he says, here you go. Lift up holy hands without wrath and doubting. God wants to answer our prayers. He wants to answer our prayers about our nation. But regardless of how much farther down it goes, or if it's gone a year from now, this is still our responsibility. It's our responsibility now, and it will be our responsibility then. We are to pray. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Dear God, deal with our hearts tonight, I pray. May there be a sweet spirit of surrender. It's amazing, Lord, when we talk about something as simple as clothes. As simple as clothes. And as clear as how you present it to us. You would think that your people would just be so surrendered to you. Father, please, may we pray as we ought. As we ought. And not just in our words, but in our looks and our actions, may we glorify our dear Savior. For we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.